One of, the, one of the many things that I've discovered in ministry is that there's always glitches. And I, I'm sitting here thinking, man, what a way to go out with a glitch. And this expression keeps coming to my head. I think God somehow lives in the glitches of life. He, like, finds his way in when everything seems to fall apart. And then we yet realize again, we are not in control of really anything, are we? And that seems to be okay. So it's a lot of adjustments and movements. And then I was reflecting back on one of my favorite moments here at Hillside was when we were somewhat in a circle and the power went off two minutes before the service. We lost all power, like the grid shut down. And I was like, uh, what are we going to do now? We're in the dark. The room is full. And so I just said, well, game time decision. We're just going to have to meet in a circle and everybody sit and listen as well as you can. And so Daniel took his guitar, sat in the middle of the room, sang some songs, and then I preached in the middle in the dark. <laughs> and it was one of my favorite Sundays. <laughs> when everything falls apart, somehow God enters into the glitches. Um, so this morning, what I want to do is I want to explore a text that is one of my favorite stories in the scripture, and it's found in Luke chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, or if you have the book of Luke memorized, good on you. I'm assuming that maybe some of you do. But Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, kind of a rather large chunk of a story. There's a story followed by a parable in which Jesus is revealing this is what the kingdom of God is like. And we've been exploring this concept of being light in the world. What does it look like to be light in the world? And one of the questions I ask is if, if we're truly living into this reality of who we are as people, we are light in the world, then do our tables at home, the places where we gather around for discussion and meals, reflect the same type of table that Jesus established for people? When you look at the table of Jesus and the people that Jesus has invited to his table, do our tables reflect that same table? When we talk about being light in the world, what does that look like in a practical sense? So... Here we go. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Listen to these words. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Which is just an awesome line, isn't it? Like if Jesus says, I have something to tell you, you're like, uh-oh, here we go. Tell, tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pull oil on my head, and she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, which have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, 
But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say to themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Wow. Jesus is standing in solidarity with a scandalous woman. And the setting tells us right in verse 36, the beginning of the text, I I invite you to keep your text in front of you so we can interact with it a bit this morning, but uh, it tells us something about the setting that Jesus is entering into. It says that Jesus went to a Pharisee's house, Simon's house, and he reclined at the table. Now that word reclined at the table is telling us a bit about the setting. Jesus is invited to a banquet And the purpose of a banquet had a lot of weight attached to it. One of the purposes of going to a banquet and reclining at a table is to enter into a theological discussion with various holy men. So there were all these social expectations that came along and coincided with this type of a setting. And the host of the party was supposed to implement certain social expectations. That was the cultural intention going on behind the story. So we have a setting. We have a banquet happening. We have Jewish leaders, theologians, community leaders all reclining around a table. Now, keep in mind, it's important to note that this is a public affair. This is not something that's happening behind closed doors. A banquet was uh, right out in the open for the public to also attend and listen in on the conversation. So all of these holy people are around this table getting ready to enter into a theological discussion. And this explains why the woman is actually present in in the presence of holy Men. It wouldn't have been okay for her to be in the presence of holy men unless this was a public affair. So she's there along with other people listening in on this discussion. Now, as a side note, the woman either came with Jesus or she showed up before Jesus got there. If she actually came with Jesus, which we could maybe read into the text a bit and say, did she show up with Jesus? Did they walk in together? which then would set quite a scandalous scene, or did she come and arrive before Jesus actually come? Because she had heard, it says in verse 7, that Jesus was going to be eating at Simon's house. And so she came with a flask of perfume. And verse 37 tells us that she came with a purpose. So this is a premeditated act on her part. She didn't come just because she wanted to hear a discussion among holy men. She came because she had something that she wanted to do. This wasn't just some spontaneous action by the woman. This woman showed up with a premeditated thought, there is something that I want to do. So something happened to her prior to this situation. She showed up with a plan. She had an encounter with Jesus prior to this meal. It's the only way that she would have been able to respond the way that she did. Something happened to her. Jesus interacted with her before the meal. So let's review the setting again. So we have this set up in our minds. There's a banquet going on. People are reclining around a table. The host, Simon, is required to meet certain social expectations. They're also in a public venue. This explains why the woman is actually present at this event. And then we're going to look at the woman's intentions and actions. What is she doing? Why is she doing what she's doing? What happened to her? Now, when you look at the story, 
The, the author is telling us that Simon missed certain social cues because Jesus actually addresses the social cues that he missed. And Simon did this on purpose. Makes me, it makes me ask the question, so what were his intentions? Why is he missing these social cues? And Jesus begins to address these social cues, and he says in verse 44, turning toward the woman, he began to talk to Simon. Isn't that an interesting line? Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has bathed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Jesus is addressing the elephant in the room, which I love what Jesus is always addressing the elephant in the room. Let's talk about what's really going on here and let's stop pretending like we don't know what's happening. So Jesus starts to talk about the real issue. Now, when a guest, an honored guest, arrived at your home in response to the invitation, you were required as a host to provide a basin of water so that they could actually wash their feet. Simon provided no water and no towel. Secondly, Simon did not kiss Jesus on the cheek. Says it in verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I've got here at the the banquet. Now, This is expected as a host. You were expected to kiss the person that was coming as your honored guest because that was a way of saying you and I are equals. So when you don't extend a kiss and you don't extend these social cues, what you are doing is you are showing contempt for this person. So this is clearly a setup of what Simon is doing because look about like where this is taking place. This is a public event. They're in the presence of some of the top theological minds of their day in the presence of community, put on display for everyone to see. To to extend no kiss is a sign of disrespect to Jesus, especially when an honored guest comes into your home. And then in verse 46, it says, the woman has been anointing my feet. Is it safe to say that I think Simon clearly has some issues with Jesus? That there's, there's something that Simon is doing here? He's not thrilled about what Jesus is up to. In fact, I think what Simon's wanting to do is is reveal to everyone that Jesus is a fraud. What are Simon's intentions? Public humiliation. And here's Jesus entering right into that. I don't know if you've ever been invited somewhere for the purpose of being humiliated in front of people. But I'll tell you what, it's, you talk about shame. You talk about difficulty. For some, that's called high school, right? For some, that's the workplace or a social venue that we're trying to break into because we want to fit into some kind of a group of people. Or for some, it's, it's these religious institutions that we show up to. And what's interesting to me is how Jesus responds to Simon's public humiliation and how the woman responds to Jesus. The two, Jesus and the woman, are flipping the table up on the whole system, which is absolutely brilliant what Jesus and this woman are doing because what Jesus is showing us is this is what hospitality actually looks like in the kingdom of God. You have your social expectations, you have your social cues, but I'm showing you what the kingdom of God is actually like and who who the kinds of people are invited to the table of Jesus. These two are turning tables up on the whole system. Now what label is given to the woman? Verse 37 A woman in the city who was a sinner is what the text says. In other words, she's a prostitute, all right? How's that for a social label? 
You're the city sinner. That's my place in society. I don't have a name. I'm the city sinner. That means that I hang out in the shadows of our context. I'm back in the margins of society. I'm worthless. I serve a purpose, and and my sole purpose is just being there to be used by men. Now, we can't really know the amount of courage that it must have taken for this woman to actually show up at this public event. But my question is, is what happened to her that she actually takes the risk of showing up at a public event where holy men could have stoned her, could have cast her out according to their laws and regulations. She must have been so transformed by something that happened to her that she's willing to risk everything and show up to a public event and she does not care what people think. What what happened to her? What, What causes a person to react that freely and that open. The only explanation that I can come up with in my mind is that she had to have had an encounter with Jesus prior to this event. Something happened to her because she didn't just show up because Jesus preached a really good sermon. Something happened where they must have had an encounter. It's crucial for us to actually observe everything going on that the woman is doing in this story. Look at what she does. She's washing his feet with, with her tears She's wiping them clean with her hair, and then she's pouring perfume all over his feet and not oil. Those are really key things going on. This is actually quite a scandalous story. Simon's actions are premeditated. The woman's actions are premeditated. But what I love about the story is it reveals who's actually in and who's actually out. So many times in our own religious systems, we declare these are the people who are in and these are the people who are out. And what I see the kingdom of God doing is always flipping that on us. You think this, it's actually this. You think you got this nailed in, it's actually this. And it turns on you all the time. Now notice she's pouring perfume on the feet of Jesus. And why perfume and not oil? Because according to social cues, you would would anoint that person's head, that honored guest. And here she is taking perfume and pouring it on the feet of Jesus. Now, she's a prostitute. Prostitutes used perfume. It was a a business tool, a tool of the trade. And they would use it to sweeten their breath, to sweeten their bodies. This was essential in keeping their business going forward. Kind of a, a crucial element. And it was very expensive. So she bought perfume, brought it to the banquet, and poured all of it out on the feet of Jesus. Perfume that she bought with her own money by selling her body. She's pouring out her livelihood. All the things that this is what keeps me alive. This is what gives me a sense of purpose in the world. And she's taking it and pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. I think this is such a beautiful story because it tells us how deeply touched that she must have been by Jesus. She's making a declaration. I don't need this anymore. I found something else and I no longer need this. And what I love about Jesus is not only does Jesus deal with our deepest, darkest sins, the places where we live in shame, but he also heals our deepest, darkest pains and hurts and scars and wounds. And he enters right into all that stuff, not just the sins and the behavior, but he gets behind the behavior and says, these are the things that are causing you to live in this way. And he brings healing to those deep, dark parts of our hearts. Jesus comes and he begins to heal the inner identity, the inner stories going on inside of all of us. Society puts all these labels on us. Society casts a label 
on this person and says, this is where you fit in society. This is what makes you important. And Jesus comes right into the very center of that story and he begins to reveal who she really is. Deeply loved, deeply accepted. Even before we change our behavior, even before we do all the things that we're supposed to do, Jesus says you're loved and accepted right where you're at. He had to have had a conversation with this woman prior to this banquet. It's the only explanation as to why she would show up and do such elaborate things like this. And now they're at the party together. This is where it gets interesting. Jesus is showing this woman in a public venue, this is what the love of God actually looks like. So when we ask the question, what is, what is God's love like? We see it in full display in Jesus. He's showing us this is what the love of God actually looks like on display and not just held back in the sea, dark corners of society or, or just in the glitches of, of worldliness that we live in, but he comes right into the center of the public image and he says, listen, here's what it means to be a daughter of God. Jesus shows this woman, this is really who you are. Simon, a religious man, he doesn't see a repentant woman. What does he see? A sinner. He doesn't see a woman whose possibilities of transformation can actually happen when they encounter the spirit of the living God. And then he says, if this man Jesus was actually a prophet, wouldn't he know what kind of woman this was who is touching him? Now that's an interesting loaded line. Wouldn't he know the kind of person who's touching him? First of all, what he's doing is he's testing Jesus here in front of all these important people. Let's really see if you're a prophet. I'm here to expose the reality that you are not a prophet because clearly you're not a prophet. Let's get it straight, people. This man is allowing this woman to touch him and that reveals that he's not a prophet. When he says, she's touching you, what's behind that is Jesus She's actually lighting a fire in you. This thing is loaded with sexual overtones. It's like so scandalous that what is happening in this moment. And I don't know if you've ever been falsely accused before of something that you didn't do, something that you didn't enter into, or if you've been on the other side of a passive-aggressive statement, you know those ones that are just so completely loaded. And how does Jesus respond to the passive-aggressive behavior? How does he respond to the insinuations? How does he enter into this? What does he do? He tells a story. Isn't that such a Jesus move? And he throws out a parable. And in this parable, essentially what he says is whether it's, it's 50 denarii, which is two months' labor, or 500 denarii, which is two years' labor, offer them the same amount of grace. Doesn't matter offer them the same amount. This is the scandalous nature of the kingdom of God. The reality of the story is that both Simon and the woman are welcome at the table of Jesus, but the woman is the one who understands just how much she was forgiven. Years ago, one of my mentors said to me, he says, you know, it's really the size of the debt that's been repaid that determines the magnitude of the joy. You think about that, person who's been forgiven little loves little that person who has been forgiven much loves much it like pours out of their lives simon doesn't see his sin doesn't see it completely missing it sure i've got some things that i got to work out 
but I'm not like her. When you hear that narrative inside that I'm not like that person, that's a danger sign. That's unawareness. The woman, on the other hand, is so full of gratitude and praise and all wrapped up in humility because I I absolutely love it when people mess up a lot in life. Those are the people that I tend to trust the most. The ones who've really messed up. You're like, well, okay, everything's been out in the open and now I think we can actually get something done here. They're not pretentious. They're not self-righteous. They're not judgmental of others. They're extremely grateful and understanding because you look at what a healed heart does and how it expresses itself. Jesus, in verse 44, turns to Simon and addresses the woman. Now, you read a text like that, and you think, what what are you doing here? He turns to Simon, and he starts to address the woman. You've all come to see this woman as a sinner, as the city sinner, but I'm here to tell you that this woman is actually a queen in the kingdom of God. I'm showing you what it actually looks like when someone's heart has been transformed by the goodness of God. Simon is publicly humiliating Jesus and this woman. And what Jesus and the woman are doing is they're actually building one another up. Isn't that cool? She shows up to the party, the place where Jesus was was supposed to be humiliated, and she begins to restore his image. And then Jesus begins to restore her image in the presence of these holy Men, it's like this beautiful interaction between these two people. They're actually doing the things that a a changed heart does. It's like, how do I build you up? How do I edify you? How How do I make everyone realize how beautiful you are in the sight of God? This is a beautiful interaction between two people. You took her dignity. You used her. And some of you have done this in secret, and you walk around pretending like you haven't participated in these actions. But I'm here to let you know, Simon, you invited me here tonight to humiliate me and to prove to everyone else that I'm worthless. But this woman, whom you refer to as a sinner, has compensated for your failure. Your faith has saved you, woman. The fact that this woman is taking her hair down and washing the feet of Jesus It's stated in Jewish law that when a woman lets her hair down, she can only do that in the presence of her husband, which should be an indicator of what that means. The fact that this woman is doing this in public, in front of everyone, you think about the scandalous nature of that. She's letting down her hair. In fact, Jewish law states that if a woman lets down her hair in the presence of someone who's not her husband, that husband now has the right to divorce her. All of these social implications happening. And here's Jesus in the presence of this woman. She lets down her hair. She pours out her livelihood. She's anointing his feet with perfume. She's doing everything to express to the world, this person has changed my life. I'm no longer the city sinner. I am now a daughter of a king. And my life has been transformed. And that's the beauty of this story. She, she pours everything out. That was her way of saying, I'm done I'm done pretending. I'm done living this other lifestyle. My identity has completely changed. I no longer see myself the way that you all see me. I see myself through the daughter and the king. And that's the key issue here. Because when society sees you a certain way, and if you choose to live under that label and believe it about yourself, or you can say, no, I'm not buying into that narrative anymore. This is who I am. I've been transformed, I've been accepted, I'm completely loved, and I'm okay 
just the way that I am. I've often said, when you know that you are loved and you are loved deeply by God, you do not have to tell people how to behave. They already know. The the life that has been transformed, renewed by the grace and love of Jesus, the only reaction is, how do I give myself away? How do I give myself for the sake of others? Rest in his love, my friends. Rest in the knowledge, the great knowledge that you are more loved than you could ever imagine and respond with grace and peace and humility. Jesus, we offer ourselves to you this morning. As a living sacrifice, we say, have your way with us. Continue to do the inner work of healing that only you can do and restore us in your image. All those social labels and and ways in which our society has tried to identify us help us to live into your narrative, fully holy and with passion and zeal. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Would you stay here for a minute, please? She who must be obeyed. <laughs> we just, uh, we just want to say a few things to you because we love you and we're going to miss you. And um, so I first want to turn to Matt. Matt is our new chair of our <laughs> council, and we're so happy about that. Matt, here you go. Thank you. Um, my name is Matt McGinnis, and I'm here representing council along with Christine Gilmore, council secretary. And uh, the three of us wanted to just uh, take a moment and uh, thank Jonathan uh, and just acknowledge that as his time here comes to a close, uh, what a a wonderful uh, presence he's been for us. We've known, this is not a surprise that, that he's leaving us. It, uh, the timing is a, is a little bit, uh, was, was a little bit unknown, but when, when Jonathan agreed to take on the role of transitional pastor, moving from a full-time permanent staff member to the transitional role, he knew that that would eventually mean that uh, he would be separated from us and that he uh, would essentially put himself out of a job and need to find a new one eventually. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and so he uh, has, has needed to do that. He's served us faithfully. Um, but, but just that act uh, of doing that is, is really, I think, emblematic of, of uh, self-sacrifice that, that Jonathan and so many of uh, people here and, and you that, that uh, uh, just contribute to this church and uh, Hillside community in, in so many different ways. But thank you, Jonathan, for, for doing that, uh, even though you know that it meant uh, mm-hmm. eventually that you, you were going to have to move on to another role. For, for those of you who may not have seen, please uh, check your email. If you didn't see Jonathan's email that he sent out to the congregation uh, about a week ago, uh, it kind of outlines some of those things, uh, as well as gives some comments on uh, and a short update on the pastor search team and where we're kind of going from here. And uh, certainly keep your eye out for future emails. Council and staff are working hard 
to move and come up with a, a plan. We're, we've got a plan for December. The staff is going to be taking over next week, although Jonathan <laughs> is here for the next week. This is his last official sermon, and staff will be uh, beginning Advent season taking that on themselves as of next Sunday. So thank you so much, Jonathan, on behalf mm -hmm. of the staff, the council, and uh, the whole Hillside community. Thank you so much, Matt. And thank you, Christine, for being here. Just We're going to pray for you in a minute. And at first, I just wanted to say a few things. Go. <laughs> you know me. I have a few things to say. I know you do. <laughs> I'll turn and look at you, too. When exactly, <laughs> when exactly did you, um, how long ago did you come to Hillside? Has it been uh, two, over two years now? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it's yeah. been over two years that yeah. I've been with you. Yes. You know, you were invited here by our pastor at the time, Jeff Reed. Yes. And you just stepped in and became one of us so easily and so quickly. And uh, we all felt that. Mm -hmm. You supported Jeff um, as a colleague, as a friend, as a pastor. Yep. And you led us in beautiful worship initially. And then you did the impossible which was you followed Jeff Reed yes. as our lead pastor, <laughs> which nobody wanted to do. No. <laughs> and, um, and you won our hearts. Hmm. So, and you won mine. <laughs> good. Mm -hmm. we, that always showed. Mm -hmm. That always showed. So um, then you led us through grief as we needed to grieve, and you led us through healing, and... Um, and then you led us into discovering God's new call on our church mm -hmm. and our new vision. So you've done many good things here. Mm -hmm. And we are so grateful. We're going to miss you. Um, we're going to ask now for God's blessing on you. Thank you. And um, we just, you know, you're going to be following a new call. God's called you multiple times to do his <laughs> bidding. Mm -hmm. And now you're doing it again. Mm -hmm. And I know that Evergreen Covenant Church on Mercer Island in Washington will be blessed by your leadership. Thank you. So let's pray together. Um, we're going to sort of socially distance yep. do that, but um, picture a bunch of us laying our hands <laughs> on him. Even COVID has even changed how we send uh, someone off. Yeah. Isn't that a sad thing? It is. All right. So let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we first just want to thank you. We thank you for Jonathan, for how you made him to be so open and so loving, and how he has guided and nurtured the staff over this time, this season. You gave him the courage to challenge us all, to speak his heart, and we've all been changed by his impactful teaching. We thank you, too, that he's just a boatload of fun, we just really enjoyed being together with him. And um, he made us laugh and have fun. And so mostly, Lord, we are just deeply grateful of your gift to us of Jonathan for this season, this hard season that we've been through. And now we ask that you would bless Jonathan and Shannon as they, they leave all that is familiar and beloved. That just gives me a little chill to even think about doing home and church and friends and colleagues and so much more I can't even imagine. We ask, Lord, that you would go before 
Jonathan and Shannon and just provide everything they need and just surprise them continuously with your goodness. We pray also and especially for their daughter Alex as she will be left behind. She's choosing to, to be here and um, you know, launch her, her continued life as a student and we just pray for her that you would provide for her and um, comfort her and Jonathan and Shannon as they live with this separation now. I know that they will just be strengthened by it. We ask, Lord, that Jonathan would continue to find deep, deep joy in serving you as he has in the past and will in the future. So now would you bless him? Would you keep him? Would you make your beautiful face to shine on him every morning? and give him peace. And in the name of your wonderful Son and our Savior, we pray. Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you. Thank you. Love you. I love you too. Thank you. As you go this week, as you walk with God and walk with people, may you discover the living, breathing spirit in the glitches of life. May you find Christ in the most unpredictable spaces. May you see people not as sinners, but as redeemed by the loving care of Jesus Christ. May you be forever changed, continue to be transformed into the likeness of our living King, Jesus Christ. Go in his love, and now may the Lord God bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you his shalom. Grace and peace be with you.